If you've spent any time with young children, you know that you never know exactly what's going to come out of their mouths. I'm going to share two exchanges of a father, one with his six-year-old child and the other with his four-year-old child. Six-year-old. Why do bad guys always try to take over? Dad. They want to be in charge and make all the rules. Six-year-old. Well, why don't they become moms? No offense, moms. Four-year-old. Can we get a kitten? Dad. I'm allergic. We can't be in the same house. Four-year-old. You could sleep outside. Their logic sometimes does not make sense to us. A friend shared with me a story about an exchange with his child over the dreaded bedtime. I'm going to call the father, Tom, and the six-year-old son, Benjamin. Dad would not budge. It was time to go to bed. And Benjamin became so frustrated at how unreasonable his father was being that he finally looked at him and said, Daddy, I hate you. Surprised, Tom replied, I'm sorry you feel that way, Ben, but I love you. To which Benjamin replied, don't say that. Tom continued, Ben, but it's true. I love you. Don't say that, Daddy, but I love you, Ben. Stop saying that, Daddy. Stop saying it right now. And finally, the dad said, Benjamin, now listen to me. I love you, like it or not. Even at six years old, Benjamin had realized that in the face of unconditional love, he was powerless. If Tom had been willing to negotiate to say, if you go to bed nicely, I will love you, then Benjamin would have been a player. Okay, this time, but I'm not eating my vegetables at dinner tomorrow. But once Tom refused to negotiate, refused to make his love for his son conditional on something that Benjamin did, then Benjamin couldn't do anything except accept his father's love or run away from his father's love. And the same is true for us, my friends. If God makes God's great love for the world and for us conditional, then we suddenly have tremendous power. We can negotiate. We can threaten to reject God's love. We can tell God to take a hike if we don't care for God's terms. But when God just loves us completely and unconditionally, and when God goes and dies for us, then we realize that there's absolutely nothing that we can do to influence God. And that's the good news that we heard in John's gospel today, that God in Jesus has made God's decision for us, and it's to love us. Yes, we can run, but we can't change the fact that God loves us and that God loves the whole world more than we can imagine. Philip Yancey has written, there is nothing that we can do to make God love us more, and there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. 
That's the very def definition of grace, that God's love is not contingent upon our behavior. God's love is contingent upon who God is, and Scripture tells us that God is love. This is good news. It's the best news, but as Benjamin noted, it's hard. It's hard because we're not in control. It's hard because it's not up to us. It's hard because every time we hear that God loves us, we also know that we had nothing to do with it and that we cannot influence it. On the other hand, it's wonderful news that we are not in control because we realize this is a relationship that we can't mess up. God's going to love us regardless. God has taken responsibility for our relationship. This is good news for us as individuals, and this is good news for us as church. Because, friends, we all know that there are times we get it right, and we thank God for how God has worked through us, and there are times that we need to fall to our knees and repent because we know that we have messed up, and but for the grace of God, we wouldn't be able to move forward. Again, that's true individually, and that's true for churches. Sometimes we get it right, and sometimes we don't. And God loves us anyway and gives us another chance and another chance and another chance because God's love is not conditional. God did not send Jesus to judge or condemn the world, and that's what Nicodemus learned on that night he went to see Jesus. He's not being condemned here. He's being offered incredible news. He cannot climb up to God, but he doesn't need to because God in Jesus has come to him. A Pharisee like Nicodemus no longer has has to demonstrate how religious he is. He doesn't have to say, I have done this, I have done this, I have done this, I have done this. All he has to do is accept God's love for him. The words that we hear every time we celebrate communion come to us from the eighth verse of the fifth chapter of Romans. While we were yet sinners, God died for us. God so loved the world, as I already said, that God sent Jesus. God so loved you, if we insert our names there. We need to hear and to believe this news. And not only do we need to hear it and believe it, but friends, there are so many other people who need to hear and believe this news. This past week, I was able to go to a fundraising luncheon for Project Transformation, and we are an anchor church for this ministry. If you're not familiar with it, I sometimes use shorthand and say that this is a ministry that enables us to work with children to keep their reading levels at the same over the course of the summer or to raise them, although it can also be year-round. But that's just a part of it because Project Transformation also takes young people, college students, and allows them to serve and explore God's call upon their lives and also allows churches to strengthen relationships in their communities by inviting people to come. So that's a word about Project Transformation. But what I really want you to hear is that a previous intern 
shared a story about a little eight-year-old girl that was at one of the sites where she worked. An eight-year-old girl who was usually high energy, smiling, but one day she came in and she was in tears. She was distraught. Not only was she distraught, but she was hitting herself. She was self-harming. And the intern went over to sit next to her, and I'm paraphrasing this, but this is the gist of the story, and heard her saying, I'm unlovable, nobody loves me, I'm not worthy, it'd be better if I hadn't been born, things like that over and over and over again. And this intern sat next to her and began to speak a different story over her, God's truth over her, saying, you are loved, you are lovable, you are intelligent, you are a gift to the world. And she countered the negative self-talk with these positive words over and over and over and over. She said the next morning when she came to the church, this little girl and other children ran up to see her to say hello, and this little girl was holding a sheet of paper on which she had written all of the affirmations that the intern had said to her because she didn't want to forget who she was. Friends, that's part of our calling. We don't just hear that God loves us, but we allow God's love to change us so that we become ambassadors for God and share that good news of God's love with us. Historian Diana Butler Bass points out that the English word believe comes from the German word believen, the German word for love. So to believe is not to hold an opinion, to believe is to treasure. To believe is to hold something beloved, to give my heart over to it without reservation. To believe something is to invest it in my love. This is true in the ancient languages of the Bible as well. When the writers of the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament wrote of faithfulness, they were not writing about an intellectual surrender to a factual truth. They were writing about fidelity, trust, confidence. As they saw it, to believe in God was to place their full confidence in God, to throw their whole hearts, minds, and bodies into God's hands and to follow wherever God led. That's what we see in that story from Genesis in Abram, that he is willing to set out and to say, I understand that I will be blessed to be a blessing. I don't know where I'm going. I just trust God that you are leading me. That's what we see in Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness. He knows he's a great teacher, but what will people think if they know that he has come to inquire about Jesus? But if you read ahead from chapter 3 of John's Gospel to chapter 19, you see that Nicodemus that night began a journey, a journey of trusting God, of following Jesus, so that after Jesus was crucified, Nicodemus accompanies Joseph of Arimathea to take Jesus' body to the tomb. 
He who had gone under the cover of darkness is unafraid at that point to let the world know, even when Jesus had been crucified, to let the world know that he was a follower of Jesus. Knowing that God loves us has the power and the ability to change our lives. We are told that we will be known by our love, by how we live. And my favorite definition of sanctification, that Wesleyan word of growing in love of God and neighbor, my favorite definition that some of you have heard me say before is that we are able to say on March 5th, 2023, that I love God and I love my neighbor more than I did on March 4th, 2023, on March 5th, 2022, whenever, that we are continually growing in love. Now, how do we check ourselves and know whether or not we are growing in love if we're allowing God's love to change us? Well, one of my favorite practices is something called the examen or the examine, where at the end of each day, we just reflect on the day and think through when we felt close to God, when we felt far away from God, when we thought that we had been, our lives had been in line with God's will for those things that we have reason to thank God for. Now, I promise this is going to tie back into the sermon, but I want you to know that sometimes sermons come really easily. Jared and Valerie will tell you that, and those are a gift from God. And sometimes we struggle to write a sermon, and sometimes it's a combination therein. But as I was working on the message for this morning, I went later in the week to the copier, and I decided that God must think that I needed a little extra help because there was this sheet that somebody left on the copier. Could have been Miss Brooke, could have been Miss Page, I don't know who it was. 29 big-hearted questions, it's Brooke. So Holy Spirit was working through Brooke. But these questions were there, and on Communion Sundays, I know it's spring break, but we still have some children in here. On Communion Sundays, I try to make sure that my message is one that applies to children of all ages. So these are questions that we might end a day with, figuring out how God wants to work through us. What is one thing you are grateful for today? Did you get a chance to help anyone today? Did anyone help you today? Did you notice anyone struggling today? What happened? Is there anything you wish you had done differently? What is one thing you hope to do better tomorrow? Can you think of one helpful thing you wish you had done today? Can you think of one act of kindness that you would like to share tomorrow? Simple questions, friends, but questions that if we would ask ourselves faithfully and rigorously and invite the Holy Spirit to work in and through us, questions, I believe, that would enable us to be better ambassadors of God's love. And that's my prayer for each of us, that those moments that we think we are beyond redemption, that there's no way that God could love us because we've messed up just one more time or because we've suffered heartache and we feel that God is removed from us, that we would know that that is not true, that God so loved each one of us, that God sent Jesus, that we might know that we are loved and that God 
trust and hopes that we will now be those who will share God's love with others. May we do so. Amen.